Salutations and welcome to another edition of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, aka the Barracuda, and I'm joined by my co-host Jojo underscore B, aka Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo underscore B? I am all good. How are you? I am all tasty. Actually, do you know what? What? I'm not all tasty. Okay, so last the last couple of weeks we've been talking about our wedding and stuff, but I didn't get to talk about my week from hell. Oh dear. An absolute nightmare week. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for yours truly. Yes, I know all about this. Yeah, but I will care to share with our <laughs> lovely native immigrants listeners. So first of all, out of nowhere, I got told that someone had hacked into my TuneCore account and extracted $100 from there. Bastards. Son of a bitch. Yeah. I was extremely pissed off. Because I got in contact with TuneCore. Okay, first of all, TuneCore are the company that deal with my music distribution. So releases that I have on iTunes, etc. It does the music sales uh, and the royalties and stuff. And accumulates all of that. Yeah. And it gives it to me and says, here's your money. Because yeah, I didn't have a clue when you told me about it. I was like, I don't know what this is about. What are you talking about? Exactly. So I had to explain to you in simplest terms possible. Get screwed. But small anyway. mind to understand. Um, and I got in contact with them and they were like, um, yeah, really sorry that you got hacked and stuff. Um, change your settings, maybe, and change your password. And if you need anything else, you know, and need any more help, uh, let us know. Yeah, we don't care, basically, is what they said. Exactly. I was <laughs> like, what, what about the money that got stolen from my account? And they were like, yeah, because we didn't get hacked. It's got nothing to do with us. So take it up with your local authorities. I was like, you sons of bitches. Like, they, they authorized the withdrawal of this money from an absolute random person that put it to a fake PayPal account. And so I lost that money, and they were literally going to do nothing about it. Bastards. Yeah, incredibly pissed off. Um, and I got in touch with them several times to say, this is really not on. Uh, but they actually advised me to speak to PayPal and see what PayPal could do. And what did PayPal do, love? PayPal said, you know what? You've been a valued customer of ours for over 13 years. We're going to reimburse you that money ourselves. Aww. So I was like, you know what? This lady called, I think her name was Jennifer at PayPal. I said, you know what, Jennifer lady? You have made my day and I love you. That is good, good customer service. That is very good customer service. If you run a business, that's how you run a business. Especially a business the size of PayPal and the size of TuneCore. $100 really is chump change for a company that big. But for me, it's like, you know, that's my money. That's like 70, 80 quid. Exactly. That's, that's a money, lot of money. That's money that I could have spent taking you out for a, yeah, a starter if. at Nobu or like some Amez Bush at Hakkasan. He's saying this things, these things to you guys. He doesn't actually do these. I do. I, I took you out for a lovely meal the other day. Yes, you did. For actually. our anniversary. You did that. You did. Exactly. See, I don't think the problem is, people, I never get the credit for the good things I do. And the <laughs> only things that get highlighted on the show is all the shit things that I may say or I may do allegedly towards Jojo B. Do you allegedly me? I don't. I've been a real stand-up guy husband the last few weeks, despite my week of hell. This is the thing. I've been going through so much turmoil, but I've still managed to be there for Jojo B. You know, so on top of that happening to me at, at with TuneCore... Um, I also had some dickhead use a key to just scratch the side of my car. This is really, it's really bad. Like, it's literally the whole length of the car. I just like, I woke up, you know, the start of the day, the very, I think it was like the Monday morning of that week. Yeah. 
and just woke up, got downstairs, and I just see this long scratch all the way across one side of the car to the other. And because I just had this thing that happened with like tune core and shit, I, I was just like, I, I was so numb to it. I was just like, what next? You yeah. know, because they said bad things come in threes. So I was just waiting for something else to happen. Something else had already happened. That was the I third thing. I think Liverpool thing. lost. That, oh, that was you it. Know, the week before that. So but then three things had it was happened. It's not a personal but thing. But you know what? Was it a key? Was it a machete? Well, yeah. There's been a lot of crazy crime happening in our beloved area the last couple of weeks. It's horrendous. Um, you know, it's we're hearing about things like the Northolt gang having issues with Rainer's Lane gang. And there's been stabbings in our area, love. You know, it's yeah, no. it's absolutely horrendous. Kids, like, seriously. Do you know what, though? Like, the whole of Harrow has been has been dealing with this. And it's because they're shutting down all our police stations. There's yep. no policemen around. And this shit happens. And they're closing down all of the facilities for these young kids. There's nothing for them to do. They get involved in the wrong thing. And this is what life turns into for them. And they're stabbing each other and they're school kids. Yeah, you know they're young, young children. So yeah, where are the say, local? Where are the local youth centres? Where are the local? You know, after no school funding. schemes, they've got no money. They've, the council, the government, have shut them down. They yeah. want to be open, but they can't be open, and that's the problem. So we can say stop stabbing each other, but actually, what we really need to do is give them something else to do that's much more positive in their lives, <laughs> and that's the problem with the country at the moment, especially yeah. in London. It's a huge problem in London. And please stop blaming fucking grime music. And, and drill music and trap music for the reason for all these things happening. This is just, you know, another, it's, a, it's such an easy scapegoat way to think about shutting down all these problems is because of music. It's not fucking because of music. It's not because of the music. The music's about what they're living. It, they're a product of their environment. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, it's more down to the, 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 the core is you start your foundations off at, you know, society and community and problems within communities and the fact that, again, things are not being done at the core foundation level. And then you work your way up. You don't go for the quick fix thinking about getting rid of grime music, the solution to all your problems. No, because all grime music is or drill music is, is people talking about what their life is like. Yeah. They're talking about their experiences. I don't think they glamorize it. I think they just say this is what it is. Yeah. You know, and it's not good to encourage other people to shoot each other and stuff like that. Fair enough. That should stop within that music. But at the end of the day, in the same way that hip hop back in the 90s was about what those people were living. This is what these kids are living now. Yeah, absolutely. Kids, please put the knives down. Uh, a quick shout out this week. Yes. Uh, to um, Prit Pal, who listens to the show, but she's been listening to it like on a very slow rate but she's caught up but she's finally caught up yeah she told me the other day she's finally caught up on the shows um she doesn't have itunes so normally you know our shout outs on the show are people that give us a rating or review on itunes yeah but she you know she said is it possible to get a shout out on the show she's listened to all the shows she'll get a shout out and big she supports up us really heavily on facebook absolutely yeah on the social media so big up prit pal thank you so much for listening to the show um, we also got an, a very interesting topic suggestion from Mittal, who's actually a family friend of mine. Okay. Um, and, you know, we, we want to actively encourage more people to get in touch with us and, you know, let us know on things that we could discuss, mm -hmm. you know, subjects for future shows, stuff that we can sink our teeth into. Um, and this topic is actually very interesting, Jojo B. Uh, the theme would be women empowerment um, and why guys need to stand by their women. 
Um, that I, I like the sound of that. Yes, I know. I Very thought, much I thought so. this would be music to your ears. Yeah. Um, it's the evolution of the boss babe. Um, and this female empowerment movement has seen a lot of women show support to one another. Glass ceilings are an actual thing that can be broken and women are shattering them all over the place. It's a new age for women. However, while women are supporting women, where are the men? Are men really supporting their partners, achieving greatness and to be the best version of themselves? And if not, what's holding them back? The fear that their partners will be more successful than them? That shouldn't really be a fear. You know, so very interesting, interesting very interesting subject. It kind of ties in with the topic that we're going to be talking about later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that is, that is something that I think we should definitely delve a little bit deeper into. It'll be yeah. interesting to talk about because there's 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 so much going on in the news at the moment as well with things like incel and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to see how it's be how men are divided into two camps, I think. Yeah, yeah. With this. So yeah, it would be an interesting topic for us to like. 100%. You will be hearing that on a future show very, very soon. Yeah. Um, what's been happening this week briefly, Jojo B? Well, there really is only one thing to talk about, uh, you know, that's been the biggest thing on television right now. Yep. There's one thing and one thing only that's on, on our TV at the moment. Uh, yeah. Well, Jojo B says that very grudgingly. No, no. You see, you always say this about me and it's not true. Every four years, I get really excited but I have to be entertained at the same time. <laughs> no. Yes. And so the subject we're talking about, people, is the World Cup. Right, so I have, so four years ago, we were getting married, we were busy, we didn't really get a chance to kind of, I didn't, well, I didn't get a chance to indulge in watching any football, really. And neither did I. Right? But I was there. Well, you still did, though, a little bit. What? Not really. On our, like, so on our honeymoon in the night, because we were in Thailand, so the time difference was crazy. Yeah. I would fall asleep. And he'd stay up and watch at least one of the matches. Because mm -hmm. it was on at like one o'clock in the morning. I was like, I ain't, I'm not going to stay awake for this. So I'd just be like knockout and you'd be you'd be sitting up watching it. Yeah, because there was a couple of games. With Indonesian, <laughs> Indonesian uh, thingy, um, commentary over the top, I remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah it wasn't even Thai Yeah, it was Indonesian commentary, <laughs> uh, which was um, extremely hyper, very excitable commentating. I understood the scores because um, I have an Indonesian connection in my family. So we, um, I, I learned how to count in Indonesian when I was little. Because I still remember some of the numbers. I used to get really excited when I could understand the scores. You could also just look at the top left-hand side of the screen. No. And just say 2-2 two, two or 2-1. Two, no. That would mean much easier. Satu-satu means 1-1. One, one. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Educational lesson today, people. Um, but yeah, so I only got a chance to watch a handful of games. So this World Cup, we made a pact that we were going to watch all the games. As many as possible, because obviously we have to go to work. But in 2010, I was unemployed. And I literally watched every single match that came on because I up. had no routine to my day and I had no reason to get up in the mornings except for the football. So I watched all three matches when there were three matches a day. And then when that stopped happening, my life felt so empty. Exactly. <laughs> I'm already dreading this World Cup ending because I'm just so gripped in World Cup fever right now. Yeah. Um, I think the some of the matches have been okay. Some of them need to be like... Uh, Raise the bar a little bit. Well, you know, it's still early days. It it's is. very early days. It is. But who are you supporting, Jojo B, in the that's, World Cup? That's a dumb question. England, obviously. Well, this is the thing. Right. I'm supporting England. Yeah. Okay. But there are a lot of people that I know. And obviously, this is a British Asian podcast. So we're going to speak about British Asians that we know. Uh-huh. That aren't supporting England. Yes. I've heard. So there's, there's always Brazil. 
that's always the one, the age-old one. Yeah. That I used to, like, my cousins and stuff always be like, no, I'm supporting Brazil, I'm not supporting England. So there's a lot of that. But then now, there's a lot of them supporting Nigeria as well. Exactly. You know, the kit's pretty sick, obviously. Yeah, well, yes. But that can't be your sole reason for supporting <laughs> a team based on their apparel. Um, when I was in school, it was almost cool to not support England for the, for the early part of, like, you know, the 90s. And then I think 96, the Euro 96, when it was held here, that's almost, it shifted things slightly. Three lines on a shirt. Exactly. See, and all that. All of a sudden, there was a, a patriotism within the whole country. And I kind of feel like with British Asians, especially the people I knew and growing up around, and we were like, you know, the archetypal football fan, teenagers, spotted faces, <laughs> loving, loving the Premier League, watching it every single week. Um, and all of a sudden, we slowly became fans of England, you know? We were England household. Euro 96 was when I really got into football because I was, well, I was 13 at that point, 12, 13. Yeah. So that's when I really got into football. It's the first time I started really caring. Yeah. And I had England nails. And I, <laughs> I wouldn't, England nails. if England won, I wouldn't, if they started to chip off, I wouldn't change them. Mm. If they lost, I would change them. <laughs> You that are, was my superstition. You are talking about No, no, as in like I would repaint them in England again, but it would be fresh paint. Oh, so right. I, would, I, I would lose the juju. <laughs> yeah. You know, and restart, refresh. But if we were winning, then I couldn't, I couldn't repaint even if they chipped. Um, but always England, always. Yeah. And since, since then, I've kind of felt a lot, lot stronger with England. It's weird. It's like, because with cricket, I'm such a huge India fan. Yeah, same. And I detest England. Yeah. And I'm I'm happy to say that because yeah. like I've seen the commentators just glorify England being the greatest team in the world and how much they've invented the game. Uh, they're just really arrogant about it. They invented as well. the game. They invented football as well. But, but there's so many other bit... countries that are better than us. At both of those. Exactly. I think they've they've almost humbled themselves now yeah. uh, in football wise because they've just been so lackluster the last like four or five tournaments. So I think now they've finally found some kind of realism, you know, to yeah. their uh, to their talk. But whereas cricket, they still act like the, the absolute, like the dons of this game. They had game. an era, but before that, it was like Australia. And then there was like the West Indies. Yeah. And India have always kind of been there. Exactly. So I'm not really sure where that arrogance comes from with the cricket. Absolutely no idea. Um, but I've, like I said, because of that, and because I've got a lot of people that are around me that are very strong England fans, and they're like, oh, India rubbish. And as soon as they come here, they'll get battered and stuff. That's almost heightened my dislike for the England team. Um, but I've always been India when it comes to cricket. But with football, you can't not support England. It's, it's like, team. you know. Well, except for the fact that if Brazil win, I win £100 in the sweepstake at work. Big up yourself, so Jojo also, B. come on, Brazil. So if there's Brazil and England quarterfinal. Oh my God, please no. Where will your allegiances lie? Please no finances or patriotism so i kind of win i think on both in both ways right so if True. if brazil go through to the semis like there's my chance of winning 100 pound increases which is great mm -hmm. if england go through to the semis oh my god england are in the semi-finals yeah exactly. so you know what i mean like i kind of win both ways i'd like i'd like the money but also like oh god i love it when england win yeah, but you kind of feel that they'll get to the semi-finals and probably lose on penalties. Whereas with Brazil, <laughs> there's a chance that if they do go through, there's a chance they'll win the final and we get £100. Yeah, this is, this is true. 
this is yeah this but imagine you know that, that small glimmer of hope of seeing england in a final I've i know just, it's probably not going to happen with this team yeah. but just imagine i really can't because oh. i've because i've never seen it in my lifetime yeah the, the thought of england being in a final of a world cup it just doesn't fathom in my in my mind yeah you know um but in my sweepstakes we've got a stronger shot of winning it jojo b oh really because i got two teams in my sweepstakes not just one so double the chance for us to win okay did you have spain close okay what did you have i got serbia and switzerland Don't all clap at once. So we'll stick with Brazil then, yeah? Yeah. Actually, uh, one of the games this week, which you've already seen by the time the show goes out, is Brazil versus Switzerland. Oh. My team versus your team. Brazil! Where's it going to go? It should be like samba music playing now. Yeah. Samba versus chocolate. I'm doing samba dancing. You can't see this, but I am. Believe me. Okay. Yeah, there is, yeah. Attempting samba <laughs> Um... But yeah, but either way, it'll be a win-win situation, uh, you know, for whichever team wins out of the two of us. But really, whoever you are in England, whichever culture you represent, whichever community you represent, let's just get behind the team, you know? There's a lot of pessimism going into the tournament. I'm the most pessimistic football fan you'll ever meet in your life. But once a World Cup comes around, we finally show some unity in the whole country, you know? It's a beautiful thing. The right wing sit together with the left wing. The racists sit together with the ethnics. <laughs> well, you know, well, for about five minutes, yeah, you know, for a couple of minutes, for even a, a small glimmer of hope uh, during a World Cup, you get the whole country together, supporting England, all united in that one cause. So for a couple of minutes, it's like that. You know that when that that football match happened between uh, the Allied forces and Germany in uh, World War Two, I think yeah. it was. No, World War One. World War One. Yeah. right? It was the Christmas Eve game, wasn't it? Yeah, Christmas Day. Christmas Day game, you know? And they decided, you know what? Let's just put our shit to the side and let's just play some footy. So let's all put our shit to one side and let's just support England. Well, we definitely need some unity at the moment. Yes. So if the England football team can do it, then so be it. Come so, on, England. Come on, England. Don't let us down. Like you have in any other fucking tournament. Um, right. That's the end of the first half of the Native Immigrants podcast. We'll be back on the second half and we'll be talking about something that is very topical this week with Father's Day. And that is Asian dads. See you on the other side, people. Welcome back to the second half of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. And in this part of the show, with Father's Day just this past week, we're going to be talking about Asian fathers. Yeah. Because I think we've spoke about this, Jojo B, mm-hmm. uh, in you know past shows about families. Recently, we've been talking about our wedding yeah. and how much our parents got involved yeah. in the whole process. But one thing that was common on both sides was our mothers being the most influential yes. in the whole process of us getting married. Yeah. Um, just generally in our households, they, they're the ones that want to see us get married most. Yeah. Um, I'm quite close to my mum. You're very close to yours. Yes. You know, 
But we didn't really talk too much about the fathers, apart from the fact they didn't want us to get married in Goa. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, but, you know, with Father's Day, you know, this past Sunday, um, Asian dads is, is a subject that um, it doesn't, doesn't really get touched on a lot. When you yeah. talk about families and everything, it's always like, oh, my mom, I love my mom. My mom did this for me. Mom's a soldier. Mom's a soldier. Mom's a, yeah, mom's a trooper. She did this for us. She did that for us. Yeah. But we don't really talk about Asian dads. Yeah, they don't really get the headlines, do they? No. Or if they do, it's always for the wrong reasons. Yeah. It's always know. for, you know, super strict dad forces daughter to get married. Super strict dad kills daughter because she wouldn't get married. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Because just a couple of years ago, they was um, murdered by my father, which was uh, on BBC Three, I think it was, or, or even BBC One. Um, and that was about the story of an honour killing of a British Asian Muslim teenager by her father. So there's been a lot of negative press with yeah. dads, Asian dads in general, it feels. It's always about how dads, you know, they don't really play an active role in their children's lives. They just lay down the law and then, you know, go and put the TV on or sit in their room or whatever. <laughs> like, it's never like dads have a positive role. There's never anything like that in the press. Yeah. And, you know, from our own dads, we know that not to be the case yeah and from you know a lot of people we know out there you know uncles or our friends who are now dads and stuff we know that's not that's not the case there are some amazing dads out there's there. a lot of positivity with asian fathers um and i know with our fathers we couldn't have two more polar opposites this is true this is know? very true but um why don't you tell us the story uh jojo b of your daddy so my dad my dad so when i was born my dad was made redundant a few months after i was born so my mom had to go back to work and he was the one who looked after me. He changed my nappies. Um, my uncle next door, he was worked at the same place as my dad. He'd been made redundant. So what they used to do is he had a young son as well. Um, they would, uh, one of them would look after the kids and the other one would go job hunting and then they'd take it in turns. So mm. they would like, one day on, one day off basically. Yeah. And they would be changing my nappies and, you know, feeding me and looking after me and doing all the things that dads do or should do. Um, and like my dad never shied away from any of that. And then when my niece was born, my dad changed her nappies as well. Mm. Like he was a really active dad. So he was dealing with the shit all the way from back then. <laughs> and he still is today. Basically. But you know, like he's, he's always been really active in that way. And, you know, like when I was a kid, we had a shop. So it was hard for him to have loads of time with me. But he would always take me to the cash and carry. Mm. And that was always really fun going. I'd be like, I want to go to Newscastle to go to the cash and carry. <laughs> Because we lived in Northumberland, a little village. So he would always make sure that I was with him. I'm a proper daddy's girl yeah. in a big way. And like, he always kept me by his side. Like we have this really close bond. Um, and he never, you know, he never really treated me any different to my brother. Like we could always do, I mean, up until I was a teenager and then he got quite strict on me because, you know, as dads do, they get really protective of their teenage daughters and stuff. Yeah. But like, you know, he always kind of encouraged me to study and, you know, you know, get a career and all of that kind of stuff. He wanted me to do all of that before I got married and, and you know, I had to settle down and all that kind of stuff. That was always there in the background. He wanted me to do that. But he encouraged me to use my brain a lot. And yeah, I love my dad for that. He gave me a really good sense of how I should be treated by men. Yeah, well, that's yeah, paramount really, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's the real advantage to a, to a dad who's very active in their kids' lives is that they help them understand you know, help their sons understand how they should treat their their future wives or other women in general with respect and also teach their daughters that they deserve to be treated well by men. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's always a very good role model to have. 
I think. Yeah. And plus, obviously, the, your background of your dad, you know, he was part of the Indian Workers Association, you know, in the yes. 60s and 70s. Yeah. You know, he made a real change. He's someone that I look up to because he fought for change. Yeah. He fought for our rights to be able to have the jobs and to have equal pay and all of that kind of stuff. He really, you know, he encouraged my mum to go on the picket line when she when they weren't getting paid enough in the factories that they used to work in, all that kind of stuff. They were so progressive. And and I love that. And my, you know, my IWA uncles are the same with their daughters, really have pushed their daughters to kind of do the best they can in life and and to be seen as equal and to always see themselves as equal to their male counterparts. Mm. And yeah, I have so much respect for my dad and my uncles. Yeah, that. yeah. It's all their wives I feel sorry for because uh, they do love to get together and go on about <laughs> their old stories for hours and hours of end. I, I can bear witness to this because I've been in a room when they've been doing this uh, and the poor wives, all you know, mum and all the aunties have had to kind of sit there and just be like, it's some, this bloody story again. Yeah, and some stereotypes still exist, you know. My mum does the cooking mostly. Standard. My dad is an amazing cook, though. When he gets to the I've kitchen. Never, I've never ever tasted your dad's cooking. Oh, my God, my dad's cooking But is, is it really all because it's meat and I can't even eat it? But also because my dad suffers from MS, he can't really stand for very long anymore. Yeah. But back in the day, how it used to work on Saturdays, me and my mum used to work in our shop. Right. My dad and my brother used to open up the shop at five o'clock in the morning, but then go home. And dad would have dinner on the table when we got home. Big up. I could just imagine him with like an apron on. Yeah, stripey, proper chef's <laughs> apron. But you know, you come home and the kitchen would be an absolute tip. Oh dear. But the food would taste stunning. Well, amazing, amazing. So, yeah, like because he's he was born in Indonesia, right? Yes. So he he used to have used to, used to say he used to have some like Indonesian, um, you know, sampling in his cooking and stuff. Sometimes yeah, yeah, and a bit yeah. of the flavor would have some yeah Indian Indonesian he used to vibe. Make some really good. Uh, or what you call chow mein, but it's chow mein. Yeah. Uh, chow mein even. Right. Um, yeah. Chow mein. Chow mein. <laughs> yeah, that's how we used to say it. Is it? Yeah. And um, we, yeah, we used to do like, you know, like fried rice and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Really good. Nasi goreng. That's Nasi we, goreng. That's, that's what we call it. Yeah. That's the fried rice. Yeah. We have all of that. Yeah. yeah. Delicious. Awesome. Yeah. I would, yeah. I'd love to try it one day, um, you know, ever get a chance to savor this cuisine. Uh, from my Indonesian side of the family. Yeah, Indonesia is yeah. still somewhere we need to go. We do, we need exactly. To see my roots. Yeah, exactly. Um, hopefully, with this Brazilian World Cup winning sweepstakes, we might be able to put that towards. <laughs> One step closer. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, my dad was really active in our lives. And yes, you know, my mom did a lot of the housework and that kind of thing. Dad still hates having to do housework. Yeah. But in other ways, he was really encouraging and very supportive of my mom and of, of me. Hmm. And my and my brother as well. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. What about yeah. your dad? My dad, like I said, it, it very polar opposites to your dad. I think because um, you can sit there, you can say you can sit there and have a drink with your dad right now. Yeah, you know? I love having a glass of wine with my dad. Yeah, uh, my dad's still very old school, extremely old school. So you know, my mum is the one that's much more. It's more like your dad. Yeah, the the progressive, modern thinking you know, very like non-traditional in her thought process because she was she was raised in Kenya. Yeah. Uh, and in Kenya, she was raised in these, um, the English schools there. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, the way she speaks, she's almost like, how does one go about doing this? And how does one do that? And, yeah. You know, she's very, uh, you know, and because of that and the people she was around during that time, um, she's a lot more modern in her thought process. Yeah. You know, um, but she came here first before my dad did. And so she integrated into society a lot quicker. 
Um, and all her friends were white, um, you know, when she used to work in all these like big banks and things like that. Yeah. Um, and so she's mixing in those kind of circles. And, um, you know, you see her pictures of her and stuff now and like these crazy flares the mom used to wear with her like slick hair, hairstyles and stuff. And so she was very much uh, the modern English mum in a yeah. way, you know. Yeah. Whereas dad was very much Indian, very Indian. You know, you watch yeah. Goodness Gracious Me and you've got that one guy that's just like, yes, this was in India. This was made in yeah. India. This is Indian, you know, very much Indian, you know. <laughs> That's dad, you know, dad was the the complete opposite to my mum. Yeah. And so, you know, him coming to this country and trying to integrate and become part of it was a lot more difficult um, because he went straight from uh, this small village in Gujarat to here, yeah. which is so vastly different. Um, and so it was a lot more difficult for him to kind of integrate more, you know, than it was for my mum. And in terms of when we were born... Um, I think for him, it was a lot, it was a bit more difficult to be a dad because his dad, unfortunately, wasn't around in his life. He passed yeah. away when my dad was very young. Yeah. And so he never really had a, a real paternal father figure in his life growing up. Yeah. You know, his mum was pretty much doing the mum and the dad role. Um, and so I think for when we were born for my dad, it was difficult because he wasn't able to make that kind of transition from being a young man to a dad yeah. very quickly. Um, so that took a long time, I think, for him to adjust. And I think, you know, I'm I'm honest enough to say throughout my younger life, my dad was was great. But I think when we were when we started to become young men and young adults ourselves, I don't think he necessarily connected to us as much. You know I think a lot of dads have that with their teenage sons though. I remember my dad and my brother clashing a lot yeah. when my brother was a teenager because I think it's hard for them to stop seeing their kids as kids and start talking to them like adults. Yeah. Whereas by the time I got to that age, he'd had a bit of practice now <laughs> because yeah, of, my, of course. my older brother. So, yeah, I think that can be that can be difficult for a lot of dads. It's a cultural thing as well. You know, we're, we're now at that point we're now very much two different cultures. Yeah. We've got because my dad, he's he's an Asian dad and he can be very set in his ways, you know. Um, whereas yeah. for us and me and my brothers, we're now London British youth. Yeah. And there's very much uh, a cultural clash between those two, you know, those two uh, cultures. Yeah. You know, um, and I think that my dad always found it very difficult to understand and connect to us yeah. through those teenage years. Um, you know, so for a long time, you know, I, you know, I, I kind of felt a little bit distant to my dad. Yeah. Um, it's only now in the last, like I say, like decade, you know, or so that I've managed to find a kind of common ground now with my dad. Yeah. You, and we connect a lot more. You're a lot closer now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I think just because he has now, you know, he's come to an age where when, when, we, when we were younger, his main focus and his main point of life was his family. Mm-hmm. And not not just our immediate family, but his external brothers' families in India. So he'd constantly be, you know, in contact with India all the time, and you know. And I think because my uh, my my dad's brother's sons were all um, a lot older than I am, I think he could feel like he could connect with them a lot more. And also, you know, they're from India. Yeah. You know, they speak fluent. I know you guys speak really good Gujarati, but they speak fluent Gujarati, but they have the same frame of reference as your dad because your yeah. dad's grown up in that town. They've grown up in that town. Exactly. 
so it's easier for him, I suppose, to connect. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was, that's why, it was, like I said, it was a lot easier for him to connect to those guys because there was a, a real common ground with them. Yeah. With us, it was a lot more difficult because we were now British kids and there was a lot of, you know, a little, there was a lot of confusion, you know, between the two different worlds. Yeah. Um, but as, like I said, the older you get, you know, the older we've become and stuff, I think that's, that's helped. Plus, the, you know, brothers had kids, you know, and, and that he's become a lot softer as a grandparent. I think dad's mellow. My dad used to have a, such a fiery temper. Yeah. As much as he, like, he shows so much love and has is so generous with his love, he can be just as angry when he wanted to be back then. Like, he would just switch really quickly and, you know, you'd get the eyes and the loud voice. And we were petrified of my dad when he was angry. Yeah. Now... Like, he's just mellowed out so much. And yeah. I think it's the same with your dad. He's just really mellow. Yeah, he's mellowed out a lot, you know. He's still got, like, the characteristics. We talk about a lot of, the, lot of his phrases and things that he says, <laughs> you know, like vagabond. Um, but he used to tell us loads of things as kids uh, and the way we used to do maths specifically. And then we used to do the same thing in school and they'd be like, this is not what we taught you. But I was like, yeah, but this is how my dad said it is. And they're like, no, that's that's not part of the curriculum, as a young lad. <laughs> and so let's go back and get told off and stuff and then tell my dad, dad, this is not how it's supposed to be taught. But obviously in India, you get taught so this crazy, like, you know, much more, you know. The long version. Technical Long way. division. Long division. Long multiplication. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and it's really long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just a lot more complicated than it needs to be. Use an abacus. <laughs> yeah. Um, so little things like that, you know, but they're, they're all like, you know, quirky kind of stuff that you know we had with dad as we were growing up um but yeah I, I did get slightly disconnected from him for a long time yeah you know um and you know i'm glad to say that now we're in a, a much better place in our in our lives it was hilarious when we got married because my dad's so affectionate and we're like a really affectionate like family we hug each other all the time and everything yeah and I got married into your household. You guys are not like that. No, not and, at all. Like even getting you to be that way was difficult. But when I when I met your mum and dad, like your mum's your mum's really affectionate. Yeah. But your dad was just like he just said hello and nodded from a distance. A solid brick wall. Yeah. yeah. There was no like, don't he just didn't want to have his space invaded, I guess. And because he does not had daughters and he's not really grown up around that's, women. That's a big thing. Yeah. Um, other than his mum, then like he found it really difficult to kind of like open up basically. yeah 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 of course he wasn't used to being around girls and mm. so and i think for my dad again he lost his dad when he was really young but like he had um, his mom and his sister so he grew up with like really strong female figures in his life and stuff and that's why he wasn't so i think afraid of the affection yeah 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 and um yeah he <laughs> it was really funny when we got married but now he hugs me yeah. He's like softened up a bit now. So now he gives me a hug when we go around and mm. all that stuff. But at first it was hilarious. Yeah. Because I went in for a hug and he just kind of moved back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is very, very old school. And that whole kind of like, you know, daughters are daughters and parents are parents and never the twain shall meet. Yeah. Kind of, you know, that sort of ethic and stuff. But he's, like I said, I think he's now learned to be, he's on WhatsApp now, which is a, a, a like a huge Comedy shock gold. to us. Comedy gold. <laughs> so I'm going to turn that into like a, social media like viral sensation <laughs> because he's just hilarious um but you know the th that's the thing with asian fathers um you know that th what we've got there between our two dads are two very very different fathers yes but two very asian fathers because you know like i the first time i saw your kind of dads is when i started working 
at Heathrow Airport when yeah. I was like 17, 18 years old. And all the guys that were around were those kind of fathers. And they'd all be talking like, like a language that I, that just wasn't able to compute with me. They were all swearing at each other in Punjabi. And I was like, oh my God. Because up until that point, the only father figures that I knew was people like my dad. Yeah. And the family that I had were very much like my dad. Yeah. And now we're seeing a, a totally different Asian father. He doesn't swear, but you know, like having a joke, having a laugh, drinking. We're on a level. Yeah, I'd never seen that before. You know, and it was such a it was such a massive culture shock to me. Yeah, you know, Um, but it did open me up to a whole new world of Asian father. We were brought up very strict. And so, and like with discipline, like we were not allowed to run around screaming and stuff. Like that did not happen. Yeah. And so now I can't abide that with children. Yeah. And that's, I know you have to let them have fun and stuff like that. That's fine. But I think, yeah, even with me, I will probably be quite authoritarian if we have a a child. But I want them when they're like in their 20s to be able to sit down and have a drink with me, you know, open a bottle of wine and have have a chat with me over, over, you know, pizza and wine or whatever. Yeah. You know, I want that to happen because I can do that with my dad. And we can talk about things that are not day-to-day gossip or whatever. We talk about like physics and we talk about politics and all yeah. that kind of stuff and it's just it's so nice to be able to have intellectual conversation with my dad no, and definitely. so I would hope that my kids can have not necessarily intellectual if they don't want to but like some kind of conversation with me and have that relationship the way that I do with your mum as well yeah. I can have that chat with her on a level and yeah. we can talk about whatever's going on in the world at the moment yeah I think it comes down to one thing that's very um apparent it could be with most communities but i know specifically with our community in that sometimes parents find it very difficult to find that transition for that person from a child to an adult and they always we've always looked upon as kids yeah a lot of the time especially with our i know in my household all our three of our brothers we're in our 30s now but we're still looked at as like 12, 13 year olds. Yes, you are. And still treated sometimes as kids as well. Yes, you are. You know, so I think, I, I know from my dad's perspective, I think he's always found it difficult to see us basically as men now, and yeah. now as uh, me in the case, an old man. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where sometimes you will find that distance between the two I think it parties. takes some time. My parents did not want to let me go. So when I'd like moved away from home, my dad didn't speak to me for a few months. Yeah, he was so angry with the fact that I had moved out, and he was not like into that at all. But then, as soon as he saw that I stood on my own two feet, I didn't take anything from them. I didn't take any money from them or anything when I left. And like, because I was, I, I left for work, so I was like, I don't need your money. It's fine. I'm going to have a job. I'm going to have wages, yeah. not very high wages, but you know, I got by. And then when they saw me actually flourish, my dad said to me, "Because I'm so proud of you. Yeah, you've, awesome. you've really made something of yourself, and you did that without." us having to do anything you know what I mean like they brought me up the right way and that's what that gave me the tools to be able to go out and just live my life the way that I needed to live it and in the in my view in in the right way yeah yeah no absolutely um that generation basically my dad's generation and stuff I think now we're seeing more and more of those kind of fathers becoming a lot closer to their to their kids um you know and finding them you know and seeing them as equals yeah rather than seeing them as youngsters you know and seeing them as kids i know i can speak on behalf of the two of us we're extremely lucky uh and extremely happy that our fathers are both in our lives yes um you know because unfortunately you know there's a lot of people um in this world that don't have that 
um, especially now with Father's Day just happening, it's it's a it's a difficult time for a lot of people because they don't have their fathers in their yeah. lives for one reason or another, whether that's because they've passed away or just because their dads just haven't been around, and it's really difficult. Then I think, especially at this time of year, but it's difficult all year round. I think yeah, when you know. when that's what you have grown up with or had to live with yeah. So we we cherish every every moment now, you know. Like Definitely. I said, all these I spoke about the fact that I was very disconnected from my dad for a very very long time. And I almost took for granted him being there and him yeah. being around. Um, and now it's, it means so much more to me seeing him as much as I possibly can. Absolutely. You know, because, you know, I've, a lot of people I know in the last few years, you know, it's been really sad times in their families with a lot of their fathers passing away or, yeah. you know, for whatever reason, not being around in their life. And I just think, you know, cherish the time you have with your parents, yeah. you know, show them you love them every day. Um, whether it's Father's Day all year round, I think, you know, I can speak on behalf of both of us that we're extremely grateful for having our dads in our lives. Yeah. And we're talking about all the quirky, stupid, zany moments we've had with them, but is what makes them who they are. And exactly. I don't think either of us would change our dads for anybody else. Never, never. I love my dad so much. And like when I was 15, he got diagnosed with his uh, multiple sclerosis and that had to comprehend the whole idea of my dad was my hero my dad was gonna live forever and he was never 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 anything wrong and at that point my dad crumbled yeah you know and and we had to as a family kind of comprehend the idea of one day him not being around I mean thankfully Touchwood he's still here 20 years later after his diagnosis but I mean just the idea of it was then planted in my head and I think from since then I have especially kind of really appreciated and tried to spend as much time with him and all of that kind of stuff i just appreciate every single moment that i have with him yeah definitely i'm trying to get my dad to stop eating so many fucking indian sweets because he just like he has the worst diet like ever like he doesn't yeah. drink he doesn't smoke his one vice is like terrible food so if we can get him to at least kind of alleviate those kind of problems yes then you know at least we'll have him for as long as i possibly can yeah you know um but yeah, we do love our dads for love and for all their flaws, as well as all their strengths. Um, but, you know, to all Asian fathers out there and stuff that are there for their families through thick and thin, through bad times and the good times, we absolutely salute you. 100%. But we also want people to talk to us about their dads, you know, share your experiences, share the, the stories that you have with your fathers. Every different father has a very different story. They all came over to the UK with the same, in the same way, all encountered the same problems that our fathers did when they first came over. But, you know, talk to us. Discuss. And talk to us about your experience of being a dad as well, if you are one. Yeah. What it's like, how it differs to your to how you, your relationship with your dad is and, and all that kind of stuff. We want to know. We want to know about the dads. Exactly. Discuss people. Discuss all the madness that you have with your dads. Let's give some good Asian dads some good press. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what this show is all about. We've talked about mothers extensively, uh, you know, th over the course of our shows. Let's bring the dads back in the equation because they're just as important, if not more important, because they're men. Shut well, up. <laughs> so that's the end of another episode of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I can't believe you said that. Pick up the dads. Yeah, pick up the dads. Yeah, you know. The, the stronger 50 50 it's 50 50 thank yeah. you 50 50 but some are more equal than the others <laughs> so until another episode till next week of the native immigrants podcast i'm swami Brackus. you talking nonsense and i'm jojo b i will see you all again next week people peace see ya <laughs>